Welcome again to another edition of IDS Hour. I'm your host, Paul Honeycutt, joined as always by Jeff Volker, the esteemed director of in-depth studies. And Jeff, today we are we are in uh, number three of four mysteries. I think we started the series saying there were three, and we, we discovered a new mystery along the way. But uh, the mystery we're going to talk about right now is the mystery of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. How does that work? That sounds like two sides of a coin, but how, how do we explain that, and, and what does it look like in the Christian life? Yeah, that is, um, that does seem to be the, one of the most common questions mm-hmm. that we get. Uh, if God is absolutely sovereign, he determines everything before it happens, doesn't that make us out to be puppets, mm-hmm. which is the classic thing that is said, and if I'm, how can God hold me accountable for what he determines what I do? Yeah. Well, that being the case. So let's turn to Romans chapter 9. Mm-hmm. And we'll go, we're going to go to verse 19. But the, the, the context is from Romans 9 to 11. This is the argument. Uh, what is God's plan for Israel during the new covenant era from mm-hmm. Pentecost the second coming? And just to give you just a very quick overview, uh, Paul begins in 9.6 by saying not all Israel is Israel, meaning you make a mistake if you think that physical Israel, the nation of Israel, can be equated with the real people of God, because mm-hmm. that's not how it works. They, they just had to be born physically born into a, a nation, whereas <clears throat> to be part of the real people of God, you have to be born again. So how does that work? And so he says, well, God has to choose you to be part of the real people of God. That's election. And so that's the, the discussion. God has to choose you. So, and of course, then later on in the argument, does he choose many Jews? And the answer is no, but it's, he chooses a remnant. And so when the full number of the elect Gentiles come to faith and the full number of the elect Jews come to faith, mm-hmm. that remnant then you will have the Israel of God, the real people of God. So that's how we understand the argument. But 919, which comes right on the heels of this discussion of election, and I apologize if I'm sniffling a little bit. We think it's just allergies are getting the better of me a little bit. But just before we started filming, uh, I had this mammoth sneezing attack, and it would not have been pretty. No. Wouldn't it look good on camera? No. Okay, one of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? I'm reading from the old NIV. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who resists his will? So that's the key question. And because everybody understands this, I mean, the parts are not difficult to grasp that if I'm not a believer, when I die... I'm going to go to hell and be punished forever. Okay, so that's pretty straightforward. And the other aspect of the argument is equally straightforward. No one's going to become a believer unless God chooses him. So what Paul does is he he just asks the most natural question we all ask, is that how can God hold people accountable, that is, punish them for unbelief, when belief is only possible if he grants it to them? And that, from a worldly point of view, we would agree that makes a lot of sense. But biblically, because it's God's word, the Apostle Paul gives a little different answer. He says, one of you will say to me, 
then why does God still blame us? He does blame us, if you're not a believer, for who resists his will? Well, nobody resists his sovereign will. That's what they're talking about here. And if he hasn't determined to save you, you're never going to be saved. Or we would even say you will never want to be saved. And so that's the problem. And and this is a genuine area of mystery, along with we talked in terms about the Trinity, talked in terms of Jesus is fully God and fully man. So this is the third one, predestination and human responsibility. And it, once again, the, the uh, problem area lies in the realm of God's being. So we talked about this before. This is an ontological problem, a problem of being, where... God is just not like us. Mm-hmm. And and that causes us problems. Not him problems, but us problems. Because he can do things we cannot do. And this being one of those, he can determine er, you know, everything someone will do. And yet at the same time, hold them accountable for their decisions or actions. And we can't do that. Because if I controlled you... Mm-hmm. As much as that is interesting, if I could do that, if I could control you and you did something wrong, nobody would blame you because they would just say, well, he was Jeff's puppet. Mm. But of course, that's not possible. Uh, We can't do that. And so this is, uh, so the the question is, you know, this this does seem to be the, the straightforward way the Bible handles this particular problem. Now, we could illustrate that and maybe understand it a little better when if you go in Romans 9 if you go back to uh, verse 17 because there in the you know the after the Lord reveals his hardening through the Apostle Paul I mean through his his choice of salvation I'm going to choose some and not others and he says in verse uh, 12 or 11 that his choice is not based on anything good or bad that we would do or mm-hmm. do. So so then he says in verse 17, For the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore God has mercy on whom he, ha- he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. So now, of course, the illustration is Pharaoh. It's the time of Moses, the Exodus, and Pharaoh would not let the Israelites go. And it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So let's examine the hardening concept, because I think that might help. So go back to the book of Exodus, to the plagues, and really Exodus chapters 8 and 9 will, will be sufficient. So... You have so let's just pick one. Okay, the if in the middle of chapter nine of the book of Exodus, mm-hmm. beginning at verse eight, it's a plague of the boils, and that's just not so much what we want to focus upon. Uh, pick it up in verse ten. So they took soot from a furnace. And stood before Pharaoh. Moses tossed it into the air, and festering boils broke out on men and animals. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils that were on them and on all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened 
Pharaoh's heart, and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said to Moses. Okay, so this echoes the same thing that's described in Romans 9. The Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart. So you think, we understand this. But go back to beginning of Exodus 8, the plague of the frogs, affectionately known as the French plague. And um, you go down to verse 12, where it says, After Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh, Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs he had brought on Pharaoh. And the Lord did what Moses asked. The frogs died in the houses, in the courtyards, and in the fields. They were piled into heaps, and the land reeked of them. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart. and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. So in this instance, the same issue is, is raised where it says, this time, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And yet, in chapter 9, the plague of the boils, it says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Sounds like it's a contradiction in terms, but I think they're just looking at it from two different perspectives. From the point of view of who, who has caused, ultimately, this to come to pass. And the answer is God. Mm-hmm. So, from that perspective... He hardened Pharaoh's heart as part of his predestined plan, and he determined it before it happened. Got that. Now, the other question you ask is, who is to be blamed? Who did the evil in hardening his heart? And the answer is Pharaoh. He hardened his heart. When we talk about the sovereignty of God, God determining everything, we always qualify it. Something like the classic confessions use phrases like, yet so or notwithstanding they'll say god is not the author of sin and by saying he's not the author of sin they don't mean he didn't determine it they mean he cannot be blamed for Mm -hmm. it and this does this is a difficult concept and the only reason we buy it is because the bible is very clear about it could we say because it brings up an interesting point that and because we say think these things in different ways Pharaoh, in a sense, because of his sin nature, because he was an unbeliever, um, his 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 nature caused him to harden his heart, to not believe, to to not give in, so to speak. Right. The only way he could have not hardened his heart, giving him the responsibility, is if God gave him faith, gave him you know. You see what I'm saying? I mean, in other words, all unbelievers are in a sense, predestined to make bad choices, to do that which is, is wrong in God's sight. It's only those whom God has called and elected and given a new heart that are going to do that which would be pleasing to God. I, I, am I oversimplifying? I think you're mixing categories okay, a bit. Okay, okay. Because I think we, you know, we talk about man's nature. Right. Okay, as a result of Adam's sin, we all have a sinful nature we're a slave to sin will never we will never want to come to Christ. Good. Okay. So that's that's true. But then that and that is a very true statement biblically, but then what is equally true is in the area of God determining God determines the sovereign will. He determines everything 
before it happens. Mm -hmm. And so, now, sometimes um, people will use phrases like, well, with, with Pharaoh hardening his heart, God was letting Pharaoh go, he, he was letting him harden his heart. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, the reason they would say that is because they want to, we would say, emphasize that the person who does the evil and they alone are to be blamed. Right. Never God. But when you said that, you cannot then say, because he let him do it from that perspective, mm -hmm. you, you're also saying he determined it mm -hmm. from another perspective. Mm -hmm. So it depends on what question you want answered, which emphasis you're going to take. And you cannot say both at the same time. Did Pharaoh have a choice? From, from God's eternal perspective, it was determined. Right. From the perspective of, is Pharaoh responsible for his choices? The answer is yes. Right. So he's blamed for making evil choices. Just no different than you and I. Um, like we this morning, we were at the fellowship. Both you and I made decisions to come to the fellowship this morning. And we all said, yeah, I did. Sometimes it may be a difficult decision if it had, you know, if we didn't sleep well at our age, but we made decisions. But from another point of view, we would equally say it was predetermined that we would be there this morning. There's no way we couldn't have been there this morning. There's no way. Yet, when we talk about our decision-making faculties, we would say, no, we may each made a responsible decision that we're held accountable for before God. The fact that he determines everything is sort of, that's another issue. Mm -hmm. It's true, but that doesn't really impinge upon my decision making. Right. Now, from, from a human perspective, this doesn't fly very well. Yeah. And I admit, but it seems to us at least, it's clearly biblical. Because God's not like us in his being, therefore he can determine something to happen and the people in that event who make sinful decisions, they and they alone are to be blamed for that decision. They can never blame God. And now we have a lot of examples in this. Mm -hmm. um, see, our, as our time goes, turn to, oh, one of the obvious ones, Book of Acts. Mm -hmm. Chapter 4, verses 27, 28. And, of course, the context is Peter and John were being harassed by the, the, the Jewish Sanhedrin. And then they were let go. They go back to the believers and they give a report. And so we have the report. In the midst of that report, we want to pick up verses 27 and 28. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. So it deals with both sides. Verse 27 says they conspired. Well, that was true. They, Pilate, you know, the uh, Herod, mm -hmm. the Jews, the Romans, they all made evil decisions which resulted in Jesus mm -hmm. going to the cross. Yet, so they're to blame. Can't blame God. And yet, because God is three times holy, remember Isaiah 6, holy, 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 mm -hmm. is the Lord God Almighty. 
But yet, verse 28, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Well, that's true also. That was part of his predestined plan. So, so we take the cross, which is at the same time, depending on the question you're asking, the greatest evil mm-hmm. or the greatest good. Mm. But it is a determined event. So it's the greatest evil because Jesus is the only innocent person ever to exist. And he's, you know, sinfully put on the cross. Mm-hmm. Of course, he, so that was, a, that was nasty. That was terribly sinful. So they're all to blame. But on the other hand, it was God's plan that this happened so he would go to the cross to save the people by his death on the cross. Well, both are true. Mm-hmm. And so everyone is held responsible for their decision-making. And yet God determines it before the fact in a way that we don't quite understand fully. So, once again, this would be a place where we would give the theological shrug. Mm-hmm. You know, how's, how does it work out? Uh, I don't know. The parts are clear. Putting it together causes a bit of angst, a little mm-hmm. bit of problem. Mm-hmm. It does. Now, yes. we have, we, we, we've saved a funky illustration, and I use, purposely use the word funky, uh, 1 Kings chapter 22. This is, this is uh, the historical context. It is the northern kingdom of Israel at the time of Ahab, the mm-hmm. wicked king of, the north, of Israel. And of course he had that despicable wife, Jezebel. <laughs> and he wants to go to war against uh, what is modern day Syria. And he, he asked the king, the, the king of the southern kingdom, Judah, Jehoshaphat, Mm -hmm. he asked him to come along with me in this military campaign. And and so he wants to find out, if I go to battle, you know, will I be victorious? Mm -hmm. Okay. And so the context, we won't, he has all these false prophets, and they all, you know, to a man, suck up to him and say, of course you'll win, Mm -hmm. you're great, you'll do it. And then, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, <coughs> he, uh, he says, isn't there a prophet of the Lord here? <laughs> he can smell a rat. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and Ahab sort of says, yeah, there's one, Micaiah, you know, he's, uh, but he, I don't like him. He never says anything good about me. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's the scene. So then they're going to get Micaiah. Okay, and so we'll pick it up. Uh, verse 15. When he arrived, that is to where the kings of Israel and Judah were, the king asked him, this is Ahab, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? Attack and be victorious, he answered, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. Now this is where we're really handicapped because it's in print Mm. and not audio. Because there must have been something about the way he said it. Because Ahab responds, this king said to him, How many times must I make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? So it was was, must have been rather obvious to the king, Ahab, that Micaiah was talking tongue-in-cheek. He wasn't being honest. So then Micaiah became very serious. Then Micaiah answered. See, he had this vision. I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without, without a shepherd. And the Lord said, These people have no master. Let each one go home in peace. 
Huh. So then he announces that this is what he's going to do. Okay. And was it, I wanted to, so he's, and of course the, uh, he announces that if he goes to war, he's going to be killed. And of course the story goes on, but there is something, uh, that I just, where was I here? All of a sudden I'm, I just wanted to, yeah, pick it up. The scene continues. And of course, in verse 18, uh, Ahab says, Didn't I tell you that he never prophesied anything good about me, but only bad? Then Micaiah, of course, he continued because Mm -hmm. this vision he saw had sort of part two. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the hosts of heaven standing around him on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab into attacking Ramoth Gilead and going to his death there? One suggested this, another that. Finally, a spirit came forward, stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. By what means, the Lord asked. I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouths of all his prophets, he said. You will succeed in enticing him, said the Lord. Go and do it. So now the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouths of all these prophets of yours. The Lord has decreed disaster for you. Now, this is a little unusual no matter how you look at it. So the Lord has this in the vision. The Lord has this sort of meeting. And he says, okay, guys, I need some ideas. How can we get Ahab to listen to the, to the f- false prophets and go to his death? Because if he goes to battle... Against Ramoth Gilead, I'm going to kill him. Mm-hmm. So that's my plan. I wanted to do that. How can we get in there? Any, any suggestions? One says this, one mm-hmm. says that. Finally, a spirit, I would say an evil spirit, comes forward and says, I know a way. I will get all those false prophets to lie. Mm-hmm. Ahab will listen to them. He will then go to war and he will die. Mm-hmm. Okay, but then, but it, it's that last statement, verse 23 where it says, So now the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouths of all these prophets of yours. The Lord has decreed disaster for you. Mm-hmm. So you now you're back to the same thing. Okay, is it God's plan? Is it part of God's plan that the uh, Ahab's prophets lie to him and that and therefore he listens to their lie, he goes to battle, and he dies? Yes. That's part of his plan. That would be equivalent to saying, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Mm -hmm. And yet, those prophets, Ahab, are responsible for their choices. You know, and they're to blame. But, so both are true. Both are true. Here, though, we just had a rather extreme example of uh, this vision of the throne room scene in heaven of where... God is sort of, you know, walking through establishing a plan. And but but the same issue is involved. How can, you know, it says no. It did. We did notice it says God has decreed, you know, these lying of the prophets, mm-hmm. and yet God is three times holy. Or to use the language of First John one five, in Him is light, no darkness mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. So He's absolutely holy, and yet. From a certain point of view, he's decreeing lying. And yet, Scripture otherwise talks in terms of lying is terrible. Bad sin. 
So you... It is a mystery. Yeah. Well, it is. That's exactly the point. Now we know why it's number three. Yeah, number it three, is a mystery. Because it's God does... To, it's, is, sin is a part of God's sovereign plan. Yet, when sin is done, the people who do the sin and not God are to be blamed. Right. That is simply where it ends. It's amazing, though, because again, talking about God's sovereignty... When you read these stories, uh, or the, what we read in Acts, you know the whole idea of, of the crucifixion of Christ, that as horrific as an act as that was to us as believers and looking back and so on, it is. It's all part of God's sovereign plan, and it causes it causes me, even though I can't get my head around the whole mystery, you know, to where I can, you know, uh, completely resolve those conflicts. It's faith. It always comes back down to faith that I believe in this God and I know him to be sovereign, so therefore whatever he has decreed and done is is his will. Yeah. You know, I was just thinking because it just we just uh, were recording this a day or two after some Holocaust anniversary. The whole Holocaust, which was such a horrific chapter in, in history, and yet that was part that wasn't outside of God's plan. Mm-hmm. Not at all. All those Nazis, all the all that death, everything. So, it is it is definitely a mystery to be pondered, and yet you know so often now we have a, a a young person staying with us right now, who's not a believer, and they're asking those classic questions. You know, well, didn't God create Satan? Didn't God, you know those kinds of things? You know, so you're you're struggling with how to answer that, in a way in which they will kind of get get the understanding without having all the backstory. Well, let me ask you a question. Uh, going back, you know, as best you can remember, sure. uh, you being at a ripe old age. Uh, older yeah, by the minute. Yeah, it's the beard that makes him look really <laughs> old. Um, but when did you, when were you able to grasp this concept that God determines, yet man's still responsible for his sin, yet even that is part of his plan? Well, it would, it would have been fairly early on, I think, in my walk, but only because I was sharing this this morning with somebody at church that that I I was I be, I came to faith I took the sort of that step of faith whatever you want to call it uh, on the base or or in the midst of a uh, Jesus music rock concert at, which was then Calvary Chapel still there but it was in a big tent circus tent and I had no, I'd heard the gospel before but it finally you know all the dots connected but. Being and, and and I wasn't an avid reader then, but I I immediately set upon reading scripture, and so for me these so many of these truths I mean I can't give you a date and time, but so many of these truths, as I read scripture, I was con- not only convicted of my sin, but I was convinced that they were true, and I was able to see, not not completely yet, you know, in a doctrinal sense, but I could see God's sovereignty. Uh, when I got to Acts, what we just read, I mean, it. I had no doubts. Mm-hmm. That's why I say, for me, it comes down to faith. I may not be able to understand it completely. There may still be that little puzzled look in my face sometimes when I think of these things, but I know them to be true because the God of Scripture has said so. And that's kind of the best answer I can give. So really, it's the most... The answer to this question is based upon the most basic issue is Scripture God's Word. Exactly. And if it's God's Word, whether I understand it perfectly or not, it's still true. Sure, sure. And that's really where it ends at the end of the day. It's not that I don't think you or I would have come up with this on our own. Mm -mm. And, And we admit this causes us all sorts of problems when we're 
trying to teach it to various folks. But the reason we, we buy it is because Scripture says so. Right. I mean, it's as simple as that. And, you know, we go back to that famous quote of Martin Luther, mm. since it's the 500th, 500th uh, year celebration of the Reformation. Right. If God said, eat dung, I will eat dung. And, well, the point is, Luther was convinced Scripture was God's word. Mm-hmm. So wherever it told him to, whatever it told him to do or go, he was going to do. Right. Because it was God's word. That's sort of that was the end of the discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is a really. I think this is terribly important right. uh, and foundational to get a grasp on this. And this is not something that we would say is part of advanced theology. We no. would say it's kindergarten. <laughs> it you, is. You but, need to understand it from the very beginning. But but again, coming up against things like this, this teaching, it does force you. To examine your your faith, do I do, mm. I do I believe enough? Do I really believe in this God enough to to take Him at His word, mm-hmm. and and to live with the seeming human contradiction of this particular mystery? Yes. I think that's that's the essence of it all. Mm. So, as always, if you have questions about this, <laughs> we can try to answer them, uh, or anything else. Uh, feel free to get a hold of Jeff. He's very reachable. At uh, area code four eight zero three one three eight five five eight, email address is volker.jeff at gmail.com. Skype address is Jeff Volker with no spaces. That's the Skype name, and I'll be glad to interact. Just please don't put your hopes on a long email exchange. That's not going to happen. Uh, that's great to start it off, but then we'll, I'll, we'll find a way to talk. Yeah. Uh, there's a variety of options on right. that. And uh, as always, if you'd like to support this ministry, we would greatly appreciate it. All the information on how to do that and where to do that is on the website, ids.org. Otherwise, we will talk to you with a new mystery next time.